Welcome to Talking to Myself in the Park. Oh, Lord. This is Claire O'Kane, your host at the Moch. The ho- your Hochi with the Mochi. Uh, well, I've been on a high anus. Emphasis on the high. Get it? Because I smoke. I smoked weed once in four months. <laughs> um, ATIS. Emphasis on the ATIS. Here at, here at Tompkins Square Park, my favorite, one of, one of my favorite parks. Oh, just a three-legged dog walking down the street. Am I looking at the normal dogs? Not that a three-legged dog is a normal. He's just special. People say... You know, dogs with disabilities are happier because they can appreciate, you know, the little things. But uh, I think they just look happier because they they bounce a little extra. They're compensating for a loss of a limb. Anyway, uh, I took a long hiatus. This isn't going to be your normal talking to myself in the park podcast. TTM, PPP. Um, I am going to do something a little different because I don't really feel like doing it normal style. Um, I was gone for so long because my dad passed away and, you know, funny, it's funny when something like that happens and then you're like, mm, I don't want to do anything. And that's kind of how I feel now, but I will, uh... In lieu of me, um, again, quite literally talking to myself in the park, I will be uh, presenting the thing that I uh, recorded at my dad's memorial, which is everybody talking about my dad and a couple of people's memories of him, and I think that would be nice so you can kind of get an idea of... uh, just how sad I am <laughs> and why. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get you get to know me, and then you get to go know my dad, and then Lord knows, maybe I'll get a dog, and I'll, I'll make, uh, make him bark. If I do get a dog, I feel like I... Fish. The name would be Fish. If I got a dog, the name its name would be Fish. Anyway, so <laughs> without further ado, here is a very special episode of Talking to Myself in the Park, uh, Joe Kane's Memorial Edition. R.I.P. Father, and uh, I haven't listened to these <laughs> this hour, just so you know, at a time. It is an hour of uh, people's memories. I only listen to my speech, and, uh, you know, it's good enough. Hopefully you can hear everybody talk. If not, it'll be like a regular episode of Talking to Myself in the Park where you're not exactly sure what you're listening to, but, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of history behind it i.e. a horse is clodding along the sidewalk or a woman talking about how my dad may or may not have uh, pitched her butt as a joke in a work environment. Okay, here we go. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry I've been gone so long. But, oh, it's so good to be back. Enjoy. know it, this is an Amway meeting. <laughs> Where's Betsy? So what we're going to do is we're going to speak from here out. 
Project. Project. <laughs> so the love, the love of Joey's life is Claire, his daughter. And so listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming uh, from far and wide um, to Asbury Street, and um, I should have written something down, but I didn't. Uh, I haven't really talked about my dad since he died because it makes me upset, and <laughs> it's going to make me upset now. Um, I don't know. Um, but, Talk about Sean. Okay, great. <laughs> this guy is so tall. <laughs> My dad was in a, a very, very special person. Um, most, I think most people go through life not being so special. <laughs> I don't know if that's a nice thing to say, but it's a compliment to him. Um, he was an incredibly generous person. With, and as I grew older, his, when I was younger, his generosity was almost embarrassing <laughs> to the point where I was like, why do you care about everyone? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> and now, as an adult, I see that that's the way to go through the world, is to be generous and to, to put... Uh, you know, to give a little bit of your love to everyone you meet. And I really think he did that to waitresses and <laughs> cashiers and whatever. Um, every Christmas he made sure, even though we did, you know, Secret Santa to save money, he would still make sure everybody had a present, even if it was like socks that didn't fit that. But it was just a nice... He was just a really nice person. Um, and I'm really... Uh, I'm really lucky that I had such a good dad. Because a lot of people have shitty dads. <laughs> and, I, you know, I feel bad that I only really got to know him uh, the way I think he wanted to be known as an adult. Because my dad worked a lot when I was young. He worked all the time. and um, Unfortunately, when he retired, he retired at the same time that I became a teenager. <laughs> and it's like the worst time to get to know a girl. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and I was so shitty to him, and he didn't know how to deal with it, and I, I, once I kind of learned, you know, how to treat my parents like people, I really tried to spend most of my adult life making sure that all the hard work that they put in to um, making me a good person showed um, through what I do and you know, through what I do and how I waste money and the people I hang out with and who I help and, um, it's really hard. I have this really awful psychiatrist who, <laughs> he's like, I, he's just so uh, awful and he's like talking to a brick wall with a PhD and like I told him about my dad and how he passed away and he goes very just very like lifelessly like well you know what do you think about being a young person with no parents anymore <laughs> have you thought of that <laughs> and I'm like you know Claire, I'll give you my card. I know, right? <laughs> I go, well, I don't... I'm so used to people dying at this point and not really seeing them as gone, but as seeing it as my responsibility to, to further their legacy of being good people. Um, and I don't see it as a loss as much as a gain from, you know, learning from both of them. <clears throat> um, 
just gonna miss him a lot. Uh, I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, beat that. Um, <laughs> and whoever wants to talk, come. Please come up. And I don't know if you make a line or whatever. Just, just be adults about it. And keep it short. Or you know. Just let, make sure everybody doesn't feel weird when they have to go to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> when you're talking. I love you all. Thank you for coming. I will try to keep it short. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank everyone for being here today. Joey is so proud that you're here. He is present. He really is. Just listen. There are no coincidences. Uh, we want you to uh, share your wonderful stories about my big brother, and I want to thank Teresa and her husband Scott for creating this amazing pub. pub. <laughs> to make it a wonderful day for uh, celebration of Joe's life. Uh, we, wanna, we want everyone to feel comfortable with share stories, eat, drink, stay as long as you want. We've got plenty of food. Uh, and as my father would say, um, if you stay, we'll throw another potato in the pot. <laughs> and you're as welcome as the flowers in May. Aww. So um, we all understand uh, Joey's unique an original sense of humor, and God broke the mold. So there will be uh, never, ever, ever be another one like Joe. Uh, that said, he would want me to tell you about his journey to heaven, if I may. St. Peter sees Joey walking up to the gates of heaven. <laughs> St. Peter, what's up? St. <laughs> Peter reaches out to Joey and says, Welcome, Joseph. What do you have to say for yourself? And Joe says, Pull my finger. <laughs> oh my God. He was probably, honestly, the funniest human being I've ever known. Um, unique for sure, risque, yes. Original, always, always. Joe was really a, a self-made man. In fact, he was truly the hardest working man in show business before James Brown. <laughs> and you know, I mean, it was, I mean, he seemed to be always doing something and working at the earliest age. He was, he was earning money, like, right out of the womb. I mean, he was... <laughs> <laughs> Selling water on right. the street corner. Yeah. Um, if anyone asked him for advice, he would be fully committed to whatever he could do to help that person be successful. But you had to be committed to your goal and your, your project. But he would do anything to make sure that you hit your goals. And that's why he was uh, always available to help others and uh, just a loyal friend. <clears throat> He was also probably the most frugal person that I've ever known. Save, he, yeah. he saved everything, um, thinking one day he could probably use something he collected, right? And uh, Teresa, uh, Claire, and Scott know this firsthand. So, uh, as many people know, Joe went to Con, the Con Film Festival, for about 20 years, and he was literally the guy, right, in, in France. And, but talking about frugal, he would throw a party in con by taking a small cart down the street to a store, buy drinks and munchies, cart this thing back to the hotel, everything. He would be the host, the bartender, everything for 100 people, and he did all for less than $100, or about 50 bucks. But he ended up making 100 by the end of the night because, uh, you know, he's charging everyone five bucks. <laughs> All they could drink. So um, I'll let Teresa and Scott talk a little bit, possibly touch on Joey being the man at Con. But however, I do want to tell a short, silly story. Um, 
about when my brother Mike was with Joe, Teresa, and Scott in Cannes. Mike was so proud of Joe and all of his accomplishments. And Mike had a ton of shirts made up for people to wear Joe O'Kane's posse. <laughs> we will sh he had, and he he was so proud. All over town. All over embroidered. Yeah. And then instead of pull my finger, he started saying, "Grab me by the posse." Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. It's an early introduction of Roger Burke. <laughs> okay, so but one of the great joys of Joe's life was that finally, after so many years, our big brother Mike could join them in Con to create some stories of his own and walk the red carpet, which he loved, and he always told that story. He was just so thrilled with Joey. So our brother Mike had a great time, and he would get dressed up in a tux, I think, every day. <laughs> and he looked great. He looked like a movie star. Fantastic. Right? So one day, uh, he, he came out to, from his hotel to grab a cab in the tux, and there were a lot of movie, uh, female movie fans out there going, Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? And he goes, I'm Michael Caine. And all the girls scream, Ah! Can I have your autograph? <laughs> What Mikey didn't realize is that they thought he said, Michael Caine. And just to let you know that I, I can teach anyone to do an impression of Michael Caine, just say, my cocaine. And your name? Michael Caine. So you all know Joe loved the movies, and it was most, one of the most creative and innovative film commissioners in the United States. And uh, if I could describe my brother's life, amazing life, with just movie titles, it would be something like this. In a world <laughs> where dreamers and believers are miraculously transformed into heavenly creatures, Touchstone Pictures, in association with Metamusal, <laughs> and Pull My Finger Productions, comes It's a Wonderful Life, starring Joe O'Kane as the good fella. From his inception, he had a beautiful mind, and they called him Citizen King. <laughs> but when he was born, his mother said it was like the sound of music. And she had a titanic love for him. <laughs> and our father said, hey, it just happened one night. <laughs> you could measure his life from here to eternity, and it would be a good life. Sometimes his life was, like most of us, was a little bit rocky. <laughs> Yo, that's us. But all these struggles are now gone with the wind. Many of us experienced great times at his parties on East Reed Street, also known as the apartment. <laughs> Remember those parties? They started at high noon, and you had to be a brave heart to be there into the morning. But now all is quiet on the western front, and you can hear the silence of the lambs. He loved his city and worked hard as a great film commissioner, and he used to go to Hollywood to promote San Jose as a film location, usually to 12 angry men <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard. But he was very well known uh, at a, a film festival in France. He often called the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> but he had a huge network from old California to Nashville to New York, New York. His love for his wife, Cindy, was full of terms of endearment. And his daughter, Claire, was most definitely described as a love story about a pretty woman and was his silver lining in his playbook. And he often referred to his good friend Barbara Smith as the African queen. <laughs> you were the queen. What a great son, brother, father, and godfather he was. And he was our Yankee doodle dandy. And now everything is groovy like a movie. <laughs> now Joey has a place in the sun, and he will always be 
my giant to me. So believe me, Joe is present here with us right now. Just listen. Again, there's no coincidences. You will feel him in your in what you say, your humor. Joe wanted your finger. Your finger. <laughs> everything. So for a mom, dad, Mikey, Joey, Cindy, and Colin, we all thank you for being here to celebrate my big brother Joe. Thank you. jacket. I know you've seen him in it often. If we need to crack a door back there, is everybody okay? Yeah. yeah okay, it's just me having a hot flash. Uh, so, thank you everybody. Can you hear me yes. back there? Thank you for coming and thank you for PSRT for um, wonderful food and for setting everything up. And thank you especially to my husband Scott, who uh, for all you do, I couldn't do this without you at all. Uh, Tommy. Tommy Cola. Tommy. Everybody loved Joe. He loved making people laugh, except for me. He liked to give me what he called the business. It's because of Joe that I learned the Catholic adage, you don't have to like your brother, but you must love your brother. Every first Friday of the month, the student body at St. Leo's was required to give confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I could hear the priest sigh through the wooden screen, waiting for the same boring confession from the youngest O'Kane. <laughs> Father, I'd start, I don't really like my brother. <laughs> After school, I like to watch the Flintstones, but my brother comes in and turns the channel to Dick Cavett without even asking me. <laughs> this was my same confession, no lie, every first Friday for six <laughs> Then the priest said what he always said, you don't have to like your brother, but you must love your brother. Three our fathers, uh, one our father and three Hail Marys. <laughs> Looking back, as you do when you lose someone important, uh, I realized what an enormous influence Joe had on my life. When I was in fifth grade, Joe gave me the book Human Sexuality for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> questions I didn't know I had. <laughs> Joe thought everyone, even his little sister, should be in the know and hip to the groove. <laughs> I knew Joe was trying to be a good big brother, but still we argued over the television. Then one day in sixth grade, I came home from school, and instead of fighting over the TV, I sat down and I watched Dick Cavett with Joe. Every day after, when we were home together, I watched Dick Cavett with Joe, and God help me, I began being interested in what Joe was interested in. As we watched, he shared his opinions. He suddenly began treating me as an equal. He talked about critical thinking and about activism and about those assholes. <laughs> Whenever Joe gave me advice, or gave anyone advice, he'd always start, okay, here's what you gotta do. Yes. Right? Here's what you gotta do. When I was in the seventh grade, he convinced me I should go door to door canvassing for George McGovern. He called it bird dogging. I'd knock on a neighbor's door, and after, after assuring them I was not there to sell another glow-in-the-dark blessed mother, <laughs> I'd say with all the authority of an 11-year-old, I'm a bird dog for George McGovern, and I think you should be one too. And then I'd try to hand them one of the McGovern for President pamphlets, or what Joe called doohickeys. Be sure to give them a doohickey before the door closed on my foot. It was because of Joe that I went to CYO camp a summer camp for Catholic kids, where he made sure I had the best camp counselor and the best cabin. He also made sure that I had someone to dance with on the last night. It was awkward but appreciated. Thank you, Todd, wherever you are. <laughs> Joe also taught me and taught everyone the best way to get a dream job or be your own boss was to work for free at it while learning everything about the business. So I started babysitting for free, which was really stupid. <laughs> but this was advice he never tired of giving. It was how he started his career at the Film Commission, literally. He walked into the Chamber of Commerce office and said, I'll bring tax dollars to San Jose by promoting the city as a place for film and video production. You don't have to pay me nothing. All I need is a desk and a phone, and the rest is history. 
It was also because of Joe that I joined New College at San Jose State. He said, okay, here's what you gotta do. And mom and dad and Scott and I even played extras in his first movie that he made about New College called uh, uh, New it's College, real. It's Real. Who said that? Me. Uh, it was one of Joe's first films. So Joe and I started out as siblings that butted heads over the television. But the older I got, the more I realized he had great expectations for me. How lucky I... <laughs> Isn't this guy tall? <laughs> turn out. I didn't steal that Claire I wrote this two days ago. <laughs> he was a great brother. I not only loved him, I liked him. We traveled together and we hung out and he took us to the Cannes Film Festival where I had the privilege to watch Joe work and play as only Joey could. Groovy like a movie. <laughs> oh man, I can't even read yeah. this last one. <laughs> uh, but it was, wasn't until the moment Claire was born that I knew just how much my brother loved me. As Joe held Claire, who he instantly loved more than he ever thought possible, he looked up at me and said, how do you like your goddaughter? I like her very much. <laughs> She's my hero. Thank you for being a wonderful brother and mentor to Bob Joey. This is not fair. I said, Sean, make me first. I can't follow you guys. I'm the last. Oh, son of a Okay, well, um, two and a half Irish coffees later. I can't think of what they had. It's a good thing I wrote something down because I can't think of what I was going to say. While they were talking, I was going to add something. What's the secret of comedy? I don't have it. That's why I wanted to be first. <laughs> anyway, we all know Joe as the guy who made us laugh. And the guy who would embarrass us. And the guy who wanted us to succeed. Everyone to succeed. Even me. But I want to share something with you that few of you know, maybe, that uh, because um, when Joe was born, I was 10, and my brother Mike was 11 and a half. And these guys weren't born yet. And so we had a, an era of, of Joe's life that uh, uh, they didn't know yet. And um, I want you to know about his indomitable courage. Uh, Joe was born with a hair lip and a cleft palate, a very serious one. And as a baby, uh, that meant he couldn't suckle. And he had to be fed with a special little spoon. And, um, and he was, uh, I'm just sharing these things because I want you to know there was something underneath who Joe was, who he became. And he, he couldn't form words correctly, so kids would uh, ridicule him and make fun of him. And he had more than 40 surgeries on his mouth and, and nose to correct and refine the problem. Throughout his life, he suffered from infections and other problems that came from not being able to completely correct his birth de defect. This was his beginning. This was his backdrop of the scenes of his life. It was always there. It was, but Joey's absolute love for life seemed to outshine his difficulties. And that's the part that you guys all know. Our mom used to say that he was the happiest baby in the world. Honest to God, this little kid, even as a tiny little baby, he'd laugh as a tiny little baby. And <laughs> he always had a smile on his face. 
and we didn't entertain him. He entertained us. Obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, even as a little kid, he used to tell jokes. He was the joke teller. And he kept our family laughing. Sean, being four years younger than Joe, used to try to copy his older brother, but eventually gave it up and developed his own wonderful style of humor because Joe was uncopyable. <laughs> Truly, there was nobody like him. What he gave the world was laughter and love. And he does, it doesn't surprise anyone that his and Cindy's only child would turn out to be a stand-up comedian <laughs> in her own right. Claire was loved by Joey and Cindy beyond the stars, and he loved them beyond the stars. And it, isn't it interesting that he died peacefully in his sleep as Claire was preparing to go down to LA to record her first comedy album. Now, I was going to read this poem that's a very sweet, sentimental poem. It's called On the Beach by Walt Whitman. And see, this is Joey, and that's Claire, and that's the beach, and this is Jupiter. Anyway, I'm not going to read that poem. It <laughs> give me the hook. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a, um, a uh, Irish wake story. This is back from the... My, my, Joe would like this, but it was, a, it was a joke my dad used to tell. And uh, he was an Irish wake in Ireland. And uh, Mrs. O'Shaughnessy and, and Mrs. O'Neill and Mrs. O'Ryan were all sitting there with Mrs. McGillicuddy. And Mr. McGillicuddy had died. And so they were all con condoling her, consoling her and saying, Oh, Mrs. McGillicuddy, your, your husband was such a good man. He used to go down to the church and put something in the, the collection box every week, every week. Ah, oh, yes, that, that he did. He was such a good man. Ah, oh, that he was, that he was. And Mrs. O'Neill said, and, you know, he used to take those little orphan kids, and he'd take them down and teach them basketball. Ah, oh, I remember. <laughs> he was such a good man. Ah, oh, that he was, that he was. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy leans over to Mrs. McGillicuddy and says, but you know, I hear he was in the KKK. She says, the KKK, now what would that be? You know, those divils under the sheets. Ah, uh, that he was. <laughs> I'm sure many of you have similar experiences. I'll tell you about the first time I met Joe. Teresa and I had just met and begun dating at San Jose State a few decades ago. Joe was at New College, and I was taking a class there on uh, being an entrepreneur. And Teresa told me that her brother was enrolled at New College. And I might look him up. And I came across him and I said, Hi, Joe, uh, I'm dating your sister Teresa. And he said, Hi, and could you take this across to, let's call her Allison, at the next building, give it to her and tell her I want to lick her inner thigh. <laughs> <laughs> Any of you who know Joe, that will not surprise you. That was my first introduction. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a couple anecdotes. All of you have your own, I'm sure. Well, we've talked about Khan, and after many years of Joe trying to encourage us to accompany him to the Khan Film Festival, which he went to for decades, he went 
I mean, there's a tag in there you might find from him there at 81. And people, he, he went there when he was young and he met them and they progressed in their careers and they knew each other. 20 years later, he's getting invited to parties in chateaus, at hotels, on yachts that other people could only dream of going to because he knew these guys back from the day. And he would walk around literally with a, you know, for just that day, a sheet of invitations to parties in his back pocket that he would thumb through and decide which ones that he would go to. And he had his posse, which I think you've heard referred to, people who had latched on to him and that he, he, that he liked that knew that if they went with Joe, they would get a slice of con that other people could only dream of. Therese and I went twice for a week and stayed with him and went to things. And, you know, Teresa walked down the red carpet with him and Mike came and way too much to tell at this standing. But on one occasion, Teresa and he had gone to something. I had decided not to go and he said, well, at seven or eight, whatever it was, we're going to go to Ivanka Trump's yacht <laughs> on the quay next to the closet, next to where the red carpet comes out. And he says, and if you tell them the name of the guy who's hosting the party, they will let you on board. And it had like 19 syllables. <laughs> A couple hours later, I go, and there's this yacht, they're all pulled up Caribbean, I mean, Caribbean or European style, just the sterns pulled up to this quay and, and this ramp coming down and a couple of beefy security guards <laughs> there to make sure that nobody gets on who's not allowed. And I go up and I mangle the syllables. They're not letting me on. I said, that's all right, that's all right, it's okay, you know, I'll just wait till Joe Kane comes. They said, Joe Kane, you know Joe Kane? I said, if his brother says, well, welcome aboard. <laughs> Enough of, oh, well, and I'll, and I'll just elaborate about his brother, Mike. Uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine <laughs> in a tuxedo. And he liked the girls. And he was single, so let's not, you know. He had been there about three days when Joey, who'd been going for about 20 years, got into a taxi cab with the guy and told him his name. He said, oh, do you know Mike? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is what it's like to be in the O'Kane okay family. Do, do you remember what Joe said? Fuck me! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe was a great guy, one of a kind. You know, and which is only proved by the fact that you're all here today. And I'm sure you all have your own unique memories of him. He was a great brother-in-law. He was a great brother. And he was a great father. So I hope you all enjoy your time here. Please stay as long as you want and enjoy our, the hospitality. And, um, and I'm blessed to have been a member, to have been Joe's brother-in-law and to have been a member of the O'Kane family. And I'm sure all of you feel fortunate to have been a friend of Joe. So welcome. Um, I want to introduce Roger Burke. Is, um, yeah. Roger, you'll tell the connection. As we Jews from Texas like to say, howdy. <laughs> you got to be loud. You got a napkin? <laughs> um, I, I brought notes of Rabbi Sandwich. Um, if Joe were here, he would say, some losses are harder to take than others. And that would be the setup. The punchline would be, I would have thought Toys R Us would have been open forever. <laughs> when we used to go to the event, we had a frugality con uh, confrontation or competition uh, because we didn't want to pay for stuff in the hotel minibar. So we would all go to, all go to Ralph's 
and stock up yes. on supplement there. And it was always a competition there, too. I would show up with a bag of charcoal and a 25-pound uh, box of Arm & Hammer baking soda. <laughs> I would go there, and in Joe's cart, he'd have a 26-pound turkey <laughs> and six eggs of legs patios. <laughs> and then he helped. He used to help me with my comedy. Um, I, one time I had to write the top, uh, for Letterman, the top ten uh, surprises from uh, the Da Vinci Code. And I was, I was over there, and I remembered that um, being in the convention bureau business, um, Joe said the fifth stage of the cross was crudité. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would have appreciated that I was in Boston. I was from Boston when I had met him, and he would appreciate that St. Patrick's Day is a school holiday in Boston. <laughs> Some Irishman found out that in May 17, 1776, uh, that was the date the British evacuated Boston, and everybody would take off for evacuation day and go to the St. Patrick's Day parade. And even if it was on a Saturday like now, you'd still get Monday off. <laughs> um, he was my, uh, he, he, was, he was everybody's emotional support film commissioner. Uh, and we couldn't take him on a plane. <laughs> uh, because he liked to hang his head out the window and sometimes grab your leg, and we settled for pulling his finger. Um, and then he was smart, he was brilliant, he was funny, he was generous with his laughter and made you feel like you were funny, and he was large. Um, he would, I would sit down next to him and I would say, is it true can there be two... Zach Kalifanakis's. <laughs> and then I met the rest of the family, and they were equally smart and funny. And and his, his wife, his daughter, his brother, his sister. And I realized these aren't Galifianakis's. Gal is it Galifianakai? I don't know. Galifianakis's. These are Sedaris's. <laughs> and I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> um, he lived a life that was richer than, than anyone I knew. Um, he, he, he got to go to the Con Festival for 20 years. What a racket that was on taxpayer money. <laughs> if, if Joe were doing that today, he'd be Secretary of the Interior. <laughs> Let me tell you how he got the uh, uh, fourth film commission convention for San Jose, okay? It was a tough fight. The other city competing was New Orleans. So it was basically the French Quarter and great food versus the Winchester Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Louisiana Film Commission gets up and says, um, I just got two words, Bourbon Street. And then he starts, she starts throwing beads at everybody, and we pretend that we were enamored with that because there's no other reason to flash your rack. And so she sits down, and Joe gets up and says four words. You'll all get laid. <laughs> I'm here, and I'm still waiting. <laughs> also got the movie Beverly Hills Cop 3 away from us for Great America Park. That was the scene where Eddie Murphy is in the midair chase jumping from car, car, into car to car. And I wanted it to be for um, Six Flags Over Texas. I thought we could do it. So I, it was a tough competition. I went down to Six Flags and got on top of the, the platform that raises the parachute drop. And I go all the way up 200 feet in the air, and it occurs to me we had no prearranged signal for telling him I wanted to come down. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm waving friendly, he sees me, and then I secure my camera, I was taking a lot of pictures, I'm sure, grab the rail for the drop. 
and the operator lowers the ride inch by inch by inch, the same way he got me up there. And needless to say, we lost the picture. And Joe explained, and I said, how did you get it for Great America? And he says, well, it's a Paramount picture. It was a Paramount park. And Six Flags is Warner Brothers. At the San Jose Convention, he always got me to do things. And he had me do a two-projector slideshow in which you had to get something on each film commissioner was there. This was 1983. Everybody was starting computer animation and graphics. Our sponsor, Kodak, their state-of-the-art was a film slide. So I went up to Kodak, and the idea was to cut the photos out of every film commissioner's picture and paste them into old movie stills and say something funny. We had to do it optically because they had no stuff. So I was there for a week and a half. You would appreciate this. Every night I would be washing out my one pair of underwear. And Teresa knows that. And it never occurred to me to buy another pair of underwear. So we had the, you know, sometimes you can use them later. And so we did the slideshow, and it was in San Jose. Everybody would have opened with Dionne Warwick, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? I chose Joan Baez singing The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. No one got it. I thought it was right on target. At the end of the presentation, Ward Emling from Mississippi says, he says, you know the old lyrics are, my name is Virgil Cain, and I wrote on the Danville train, not Joe O'Cain. So that killed that. And we had everybody in the... Uh, in the slideshow, and then Joe took us to Great America Park, uh, where he tried to convince everyone that the Klondike Saloon was named after a lesbian Eskimo. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he took us to, I brought props. Then, then he took us to, um, then he took us to Mirasu, where he persuaded, yeah, it off. Where he persuaded <laughs> Millimeter Magazine to give us these satin film jackets with millimeter across the back. So we all we all we all lined up according to size so we can get the right jacket. And Joe looks at me and he says, millimeter is his size. <laughs> so that's when this who's its bigger thing got started. <laughs> Lately, it's been my prostate versus his days of the week bill orga uh, pill organizer. Uh, we decided to sync up our il illnesses together like periods. It was, it was, it was great. Uh, he, he gets a stent. I fall down, break my neck. My neck. I'm in a halo cast five months. I've got a walker that says my other car, my other car is a is a crutch. Uh, okay. Then he has more heart problems. I go to the cardiologist. Okay. I have no heart problems. The cardiologist puts me on a heart healthy diet, which makes my wife's vegan diet seem carnivorous. <laughs> and then he gives me. And then he gives me. He makes me wear these. Um, compression support homes <laughs> that are just terrific because um, it got me into, into a Broadway road show. <laughs> My name is Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. What did I miss? What did I miss? I kissed the king. That's what I missed. I met the ladies in Paris. I guess I missed I, 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 in Paris, I missed all the ladies. I guess the, I missed the late 80s. And it goes on from there. I don't know if you heard of this. <laughs> okay, so he did that. And uh, I'll stop what's, now. Let, let no, me... what's, what's, what's the killer Joe story? The, the, the final, final. What, do you, what would that be? 
I, I don't get to that fast. I, I'm, I'm, I'm OCD. I, uh, um, well, I, I, I don't know. I think that um, he, he, oh, yes. Uh, I first met him in Puerto Rico. How many of you can say that? <laughs> okay. It was a DuPont Plaza Hotel, the third symposium. I go down there. The, um, the film commissioner from Puerto Rico, uh, Tito Bonilla, convinced Governor Munoz Marin that if he picked up all the costs, it would really put Puerto Rico on the map, like San Jose. Correct. And it did, right there between the Virgin Islands and the Dominican Republic, where everybody but FEMA can find them. Okay, the guy's name was Tito Bonilla, but from then on, it was always Tito Benito. Okay, and there were three film commissioners that all Joe had to say was their name, and he didn't need a setup. That would be the punchline. The, the second guy was Phil Cole, uh, the film commissioner from uh, Alabama, who I believe was the third brother in Daryl, Daryl, and Larry. And um, Phil was married to a lady wrestler. <laughs> We didn't need that. Phil was funny already, okay? Yeah. The other was um, Wynne DeLugo, the film commissioner from uh, the Virgin Islands, who was perpetually stoned. And we, we went to another thing, and they gave us um, jackets from On Location magazine, and it said On Location on it. And Joe would explain that that was the medication that Wynne was on. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop now. Roger Burton, see me I just want you to know, I, my name is Judy Weiss. I kn knew Joe 35 years ago. I met him in San Jose. It was when I was practicing law. I don't do that anymore. I'm a recovering attorney. She just uh, many uh, things. She's in. A, we got, had a film commission in, in Toronto. She says, she said, she says uh, why are you here? She says, I'm an attorney. I'm a social worker. I'm a stage hypnotist. Step right over here. <laughs> anyway, he thought that Roger was the funniest person we know. Now he's just long. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, Joe got me involved with the film commission because at the time I was an attorney um, and it was in San Jose. I, For some reason I was always interested in film because I've always been acting since I was like two. And I raised my hand. I said, I'll help you guys. I said, I'm going to regret this, but I don't. I'm going to help you guys incorporate as a nonprofit. And I did that, and I became part of the most wonderful people and the most wonderful organization. And um, Joe remained my friend for 35 years. In fact, I've got some Facebook stuff from him almost till the very end. I do want to give my condolences to the family. You are a wonderful family. I can see where he's looks like he was. Anyway, and, 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 Joe got the looks, you know. Uh, yeah, one time, you know, he's always making these remarks about pulling his finger, and I went, you know, my father used to do that. I went, no, no. He says, well, in that case, I'll do it myself. <laughs> so, which he did. He was so classy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I want, I, and I actually was with him with Cindy not very long before she passed, and that was devastating for him. And Claire, wherever you are, I met you when you were little, and you've grown up to be really something. And, um, it's, uh, and he, I can tell you, he just adored you. He totally adored you. He would talk about you whenever I talked to him. Always had to mention what you were doing and where you were and your friends and being a teenager and all that. So it was just wonderful. But one of the jokes, and I don't want to go on, Roger did it for me. Um, actually, Joe and Roger and I, two Jews and an Irishman, were uh, were the common. He was a Jew Irishman. He was. Yes, he we drink a lot of fish and get the seafood wholesale. Yes. <laughs> well, he was really cheap. He said, right? Yes. He was a wannabe Jew. Anyway. We, you gotta speak up. We um. We had the good fortune of being the comic relief when we had Cineposium. And when we were in Chicago, the three of us, Roger, uh, Joe, and I, got to be on Second City. So we were really, really thrilled. We did our own little show on Second City. And the guys from Second City came up to us and said, 
you're stealing our show. Go away. Which was the biggest thrill I've had in a long time. And I don't want to carry on too long, but I want to give you one story about what Joe did to me. <laughs> and just because it was Joe, uh, can I borrow some lovely female? Anybody want oh, to just come you up? want lovely? <laughs> so, in front of, I was trying to think of all the stories. There's so many, you know. He tried to uh, actually, though he would never, ever cheat on your mother, believe me. He would make the, he would, you know, try to excite me and entice me by taking out his teeth. Uh, that was just a, the most romantic thing anyone's done to me. Um, I think. Anyway. And she would reciprocate. <laughs> hey, but oh, you're done. You did your thing, Roger. So we were in, I guess we were at a location expo event, and I'm always a straight man. So he would say, okay, I'm a dress designer. I want to tell you about the dress I've designed. It's got lovely shoulders and nice heavy shoulders. And it's great on the top. Yes. And he was waiting till I said, what the hell are you doing? And I never do. And he's going... <laughs> this is in front of at least a hundred people in there, and I'm just standing there getting felt up and down all the way, and it was Joe, and I went, oh, don't do that. <laughs> but that was what Joe would do in front of everybody, and he was uh, a great part of my life. I just want to bring, yeah, what what we're going to do, Barbara, is going to come up and say a few words, and then I have a friend that would like to sing a song. How's that? Good afternoon, everyone. My name's Barbara Smith, and I am part of the O'Kane family. <laughs> I have known the O'Kanes for many years. I worked with Joe at Convis. I supported the president and CEO, and we won't mention names. <laughs> <laughs> and Joey was the film commissioner. And so we developed a relationship. Colleen became my massage therapist. I met Sean. I met Mike. And then two years later, I decided to pick up and move to Florida. And so I ran into Joe, and he said, well, where are you going to live? I said, I don't know. I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. I'm the free spirit. I'll just pick a place when I get there. And so he said, let me put you in touch with my brother, Mike. Mike owns a, con a condo on the beach, and um, I'm sure that you would have a place to stay. Sure enough, two days before I left the Bay Area, Mike and I linked up. Moved to Florida, I'm living in Pompano Beach. And for two years, I had keys to the condo, and Mike and I always kept in touch. I always kept the condo clean and would spruce it up when he would come to town. Well, then, um, I have an aging mom, and so I needed to come back to Florida four years ago. And free spirit, I'm coming back. Don't know what the Bay Area is like. Oh, what a shock. Yeah. Mike. Or Joey said, come stay with me. I'm in the house by myself. So for the past four years, that's where I've been with Joey. It has been such a blessing. And it was a win-win situation because he took me in and I watched over him like a little mother here. <laughs> but one of the things that bugged the living daylights out of me for my first two months there, Joey kept saying, you have holes in your pants. <laughs> I said, yes, Joey, that's the style. <laughs> holes and slits. Every time I'd walk in with these jeans, you have holes in your jeans. So I got tired one day, and I just threw him the jeans. I'm like, here. You all had no idea that Joey was one of the best CEOs. 
seamstress. <laughs> this is the first time in two and a half years I have worn these jeans. Why? Because my holes and slits are gone. <laughs> on my jeans. They will never be the same and they will never come off. Because these will always remind me of my concerned about my well-being as well as all of you and that's why you're here. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to share this little tidbit that you all probably never even knew. He was a good seamstress. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.